Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Don Wetrick. Don is the Innovation Coordinator at Noblesville High School and is the author of Pure Genius, Building a Culture of Innovation and Taking 20% Time to the Next Level. Wetrick has worked as a middle school and high school teacher, educational and innovation consultant, CEO, and podcast host. He is also the founder of Start Ed Up, an organization dedicated to help transform the school culture towards innovation and enable student-led entrepreneurship. Don has lectured across the U.S., Europe, South America, and Africa about collaboration, social media use, and work environments that enable innovation. Through his travels, he has worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley to Ghana and seeks to bring that entrepreneurial mindset into our classrooms. His podcast, Start Ed Up, has featured some of the most successful entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders in the world, focusing on educational change. Most importantly, Don is a classroom teacher, father, and husband. Welcome, Don Wetrick. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty happy. Great. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am indeed. Awesome. Okay. So Don, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure. Um, I think part of the path to leadership was a lot of it just observing my mom and dad. I wrote a book and I think this was my favorite part to talk about in the book. In my first three years out of college, I was not in education, but everybody in my family was. My dad was a teacher. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, which makes her a teacher. My sister was a teacher. And so I remember like the last thing I was going to be was a teacher, but there's something genetic about it. So I told him like, hey, I'm going to go back and get my education degree. And he says, you know, Don, I don't care if you teach for the next 20 years. Just don't teach one year 20 times. And I think that's been at the heart of both innovation and leadership is that, you know, don't be beholden to a tradition. Traditions are nice and sometimes they can be honored, but like acknowledge what's not working. Acknowledge when you have to adapt because you can get caught in that trap. And so that was one of mine. And then the other kind of leadership thing has been this like new dawn of leadership in the last 10 years, listening to people like Dan Pink, listening to people like Seth Godin, uh, Simon Sinek. These guys have been putting some ideas out there that at first seemed counterintuitive. Like that's not the my way or the highway or, you know, the tough, rugged boss, but they all fundamentally made sense. And they all had great psychology and understanding of human behavior behind it. So I'm a reader and a listener (laughs) and a watcher of YouTube. So these kind of thoughts have really come across true and I've adapted as such. And what is it that you're doing now? 
So I am doing too many things. <laughs> I am, uh, first and foremost, I'm a husband and a father, but I'm also a classroom teacher. I teach a class called Innovation and Open Source Learning. And really that was like a class that Dan Pink almost talked about what motivated people back seven years ago. And so I decided to make a class of it. So instead of having a Google 20% time, I made it its own class. And so off the success of the class, we started doing some school training, some teacher training. But then ironically enough, the group that I was hearing back from the most were parents. And so on February 1st, we launch our online academy, especially for students that aren't getting this kind of class at their school and homeschool parents have really asked for this kind of thing. So yeah, I run a business, I run a consulting thing. Uh, I'm a classroom teacher. I'm a parent of three. Oh, and I have a podcast that I run. Oh my where, goodness. Yeah. And I do three times a week where I interview entrepreneurs and thought leaders and authors about education usually and learning. How fantastic. Now, you mentioned two things that kind of jumped out at me. You have a book. Can you tell us yes. a bit about that? It is called Pure Genius, Creating a Culture of Innovation. Essentially, it was kind of our journey of trying this crazy class. I mean, literally, the origin was I watched Dan Pink's TED Talk seven years ago, and I thought, wow, if that works for people and employees, would this work for students? And I started to get a lot of insight from it, and so was asked to write a book and I did. So that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of exploded into other different areas Mm -hmm. where now my approach to education is vastly different. And that's been a struggle. But it's also why I'm really blessed to be at Noblesville schools, because they wanted this type of class. And uh, they see the value in giving students time to innovate and think entrepreneurially. Now, if our listeners wanted to get a copy of your book, what would be the best way to do that? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. All right. And you said something else, the new dawn of leadership. What do you mean by that? Well, look, I'm from Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. So there was this famous coach here that was not a nice person, Mm -hmm. but he was seen as a great leader, right? Mm -hmm. My way or the highway, he'll yell at you. He'll berate you into subservience. That's a leader right? I still sometimes think that's celebrated. I think that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But you know, the nice guys finish last thing isn't true. And so all of a sudden, there was some thinkers out there, you know, Dan Pink's book on drive that made people go, wait a second, Mm -hmm. assholes don't have to like always get the results. You can motivate people by providing them some opportunity for mastery, give them a purpose. And that made people go like, wow, that's not just me. I always kind of thought that. And then other people started speaking out about it. And in some ways, like it's just common sense. Like listening to Simon Sinek's TED Talk, which notoriously had like awful audio and it was in a bunker somewhere because you heard planes going the whole time. Like that whole TED Talk, which now has exploded, you listen to it and you're like, y'all, this is common sense. Right. Like, yeah. Can we all collectively agree this is right? (laughs) You know, and I think that this is really ancient wisdom absolutely because of the innovation and all the technology that keeps evolving we're more exposed to it now on a deeper level so when you call it the new dawn of leadership i think to me it's just a combination a return wisdom and the technology ironically enough i feel the same way about a lot of the movements in education we're going back or at least the people that i think that are leading the way are going back to being squires Mm. we're going back to the 18th century you know, all of a sudden more schools are like, you know, maybe we should provide some internship opportunities so they might make a better informed choice of what they want to major in in college. 
So you want them to squire. Exactly. Like, like, yeah, actually, yeah, it is. What was old is now new. Right. So how would you describe your leadership style? Pardon the language. A nuanced asshole. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so like some of the people that I gravitate to are almost polar opposites of one another, right? You have the really thoughtful Norman Vincent Peale or Zig Ziglar, and then you have Gary Vee, right? Mm-hmm. Or Dan Pink mm-hmm. and Gary. You know, both guys are shouting, well, one's not shouting, very similar messages. But one guy's got to crack a few eggs to make the omelet. And there are times where I'm like, I try to inspire. I try to lead by example. Like, I've always told my students, like, outwork me. I dare you. Mm. Please do. But at the same time, there are times where I'm like, sometimes you've got to be blunt. And look, I don't like mean people, for the record. But now we are so on the lookout to be offended Who's going to be offended today? Who's going to be triggered? Well, sometimes when you hear things that offend you, sometimes, not always, but sometimes you're like, you're telling me things I don't want to hear. Don't tell me to work harder. I don't want to. So I can either inspire you to try to work harder. And if that's not working, I try not to. But sometimes you got to kick in the butt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think one of my favorite things, and I'd say he's kind of a mentor and a guy I look up to, Naveen Jain had said several times, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. A great teacher makes you thirsty. Oh, I love that. Right. That's not my quote. That's Naveen's. (laughs) Trademark (laughs) Naveen Jane. But no, I mean, he's right though. Like, I want to inspire you with possibilities to where you go, dang, I want to do this. However, inspiration is fleeting. I get uncomfortable when people say passion-based learning because passion is exactly that. Oftentimes, passion is fleeting. Like, oh, this sounds terrible. I'm sorry, honey. I don't have a passion for my wife. I have an everlasting love, mm-hmm. right? I was passionate about her when I met her when I was 16, right? So I'm weird about passion. <laughs> I'm more into staying curious, having a drive to be better, things of that nature. Would there be a different word for passion? Because I see it as a why, yeah, no, I can see that. I guess in some ways I'm almost discussing the difference between lust and love, right? You know, lust is something that's driven by greed or something like that, and it doesn't necessarily sustain. So passion is nuanced for sure. But again, when I hear passion, when I hear people discuss passion, it's something they're very passionate about right now. Mm-hmm. And if you go and ask them about it a year later, oh, I was so passionate about that. Like right now, as we record this, People are still fired up and passionate about their New Year's resolution. They won't be, statistically speaking. But at the same time, I do know people that are passionate and have lifelong passions. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I just, I get a little skittish about that word. Got it. All right. So Don, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? You know, when you sent me this, I froze because there's too many. Um, (laughs) Top three or two. Yoda, there is no try, there is only do, Mm -hmm. um, is right up there. On leadership, I'll still go with my dad's quote, please don't teach one year 20 times. I think that that is a heart of innovation and leadership. And then also quotes that are involving doing, not talking, concepts that are always built around trying and reflecting instead of waiting around for perfect. Reed Hoffman's famous quote, if you don't look back on your first attempt or your first iteration and you're not embarrassed by it, you waited too long. 
I love that quote. I mean, my, my, my first three or four podcasts were not good. And matter of fact, one, I had to re-record, and then actually like number seven, I ended up bumping up to number two because it was so good because I learned how to prepare less. When I first started, I wasn't listening as much. I was going over my questions and not listening to follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that whole just do it now, don't wait around for perfect rings really true to me. And again, leaders also will start things now. They won't wait around to the next quarter or the next meeting. Or wait till everything's perfect. Yeah, no doubt. I can certainly relate to this because I love and I'm curious about people, but certainly this is an area where I continue to need to grow and that's listening. So I appreciate you giving us that feedback. Now, you talked about this a little bit, but what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Again, the balance of really contrasting personalities. Peter Thiel, is very soft-spoken, but extremely intellectual. And then you've got Tim Ferriss. Or like I said, on the other extreme, you've got Gary Vee, Jocko Wilnick, Amy Wilkinson, Tina Selig, among my favorites. Uh, She's a professor at Stanford and has written really great books. Creativity Rules was her last one. So these kind of leaders are, they all usually point to the same thing. And it's funny, listen to everything I'm just about to say, and then tell me where you can find this in modern education learn how to fail, take risks, go with things that you're curious about, not the things that you're forced to do. Do things early so you can adjust later. Everything I just mentioned is not really traditional in the education system. Fail often. No, you can never fail. You got a B. Now you can't get into that famous college. Mm -hmm. Take risks. There are no risks. You have to take exactly these courses. So I you know. So you're inspired by those leaders who do take risks, who fail, who try, not try, you don't like trying, who do. And that um, are transparent about it. I love it. Because some of these people have notoriously not succeeded on their first, second, third attempt. And I think that's been the great part is they're like, see there, like they're not infallible and they're not trying to pretend that they are. And when they screw up, they own it. They're like, look at, look at that. I tried that. Boy, that was stupid. Not going to do that again. Mm. So I love that. Yeah. It certainly inspires me as well because there's a courage to that vulnerability. There sure is. So Don, what's the best advice you've ever received? (sighs) Yeah, I'm going through 45 years. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) Um, currently, like right now. Right now, I saw this not too long ago. And it was a quote by Matthew McConaughey, of all people. Mm-hmm. He was giving an acceptance speech for some award. And as a kid, they kept asking him, who's your favorite superhero? Like Batman or Superman or whatever. And he said, me, in 10 years, I am always trying to be a better version of myself. I am trying to adjust, reflect, Heck, even the company I launched. My co-founder is a former student. He's 20 years old. I was spending my weekends going from school to school and conference to conference. And he came up to me and said, nice 1990s business model there, Mr. Wetrick. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, how about you digitize some of your content? You want me to help you build a platform? He said this at age 19. Oh, snap. And I was like, you want to join? Yep. The traditional hardcore my way or the highway old leadership teacher would have said, 
mind your own business kid. Mm-hmm. Instead, he hit me with that reality. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that you were approachable in that way where you provided that opportunity for him to say that. Oh, the kids are not afraid to give me their opinions. I welcome that. I will. I mean, uh, give awesome. me a, de- give me a debate. And when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And as a matter of fact, they can't stand it when I'm like, see, I told you, don't do that. Don't stop it, Mr. Witcher. <laughs> Cause I invite it. I absolutely invite it. That's really essential in leadership. Oh, that's where my mom kicked in, right? My dad, such a nice guy, but my mom was like, she challenged me on things and honing that back and forth debating skills. Man, I, yeah, I loved that growing up. I mean, I loved her and we, she loved me, but mm-hmm. I think it's always healthy to both listen and, you know, debate. So when my students catch me on something like, no, it's not Mr. Wetrick, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're also exemplifying what a learner does, you know? Yeah, well, I, I <laughs> my wife would agree to this. So my first 10 years of teaching were in middle school and I don't think I've progressed much past <laughs> middle school my sense of humor like I still the only movies I watch are almost all animated other than Star Wars like my idea of a perfect movie is Kung Fu Panda but (laughs) but I think that like I enjoy my class as a student we had to go through the you know mandated you have to sit through this training seminar to do blah 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 I can't do the set and get anymore like I am now the worst traditional student in the world Mm. am I a student still oh my gosh I learn all the time I mean I read, I listen, I do all these things, but sitting to one person talking, uh, <laughs> so I just want to provide the class that I would enjoy to my students. So what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? Oh my gosh, that's probably the most important thing ever. One, I can't do it all alone and I'm short-sighted and stupid to think that I can and arrogant to think that I can. A good team fills in your gaps. A good team sees opportunities and advantages you've never seen before because it's not your insights, it's others. How to build that team? Just conversations. And then being bold by going, I freaking love what you do. (laughs) Do you want to partner up? In my company are, uh, let's see, a former student, a former student, and a 19-year-old who's been his own entrepreneur. I'm surrounded by young people Mm -hmm. because we had these conversations where their insights were amazing. Mm -hmm. And i like, hey, I could stand to use your help. So you mentioned your company. Tell us more about it. Sure. Start Ed Up. Yeah, we treat education like a startup. I do in-person visits. I'm trying to get more schools to provide at an elementary level, a genius hour, 20% time. At the high school level, I'm trying to get them to provide an elective like mine. But that's also a challenge. It's a long process because sometimes the states need approval or schools just can't do it willy-nilly. So I try to get them to do these things. And if they can't, I work with teachers on how you can implement some time and some ways to do this in their own curriculum. Mm -hmm. That's not my preferred method. My preferred method is have your own course. I'm really, really fired up about that. But at the middle school and elementary school level, how do you implement it in the day? However, literally it was Gary. I went out and interviewed him. And afterwards he was like, why are you waiting around for education to change? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, when you give speeches, how many times do people come up to the stage and say, boy, I wish my son had you or could have you? And I'm like, oh, I get that all the time. Mm-hmm. And he says, why aren't you serving their needs? Why do you have to be just working with teachers when it's the parents that are demanding it? 
And I not thought of that. Mm. And I started putting out some feelers and it was an overwhelming yes. <laughs> and so we launched February 1st and we've got a pretty robust, really the most important lessons are the entrepreneurial mindset, how to get your student to think like an entrepreneur, not to complain about things and just, oh man, things suck, but to see things as opportunities. How do you strike on that? How do you leverage these tools like social media? how to market yourself, how to reach out to people, just these really essential skills that 90% of most schools aren't teaching. And you know, I'm sure you've ignited some listeners. So if they wanted to reach you or learn more about your company, how could they do that? Sure. The number one place they can find information about me and what I'm doing every day is at Don Wetrick on Twitter. D-O-N-W-E-T-T-R-I-C-K. Don Wetrick. And then the two sites that are the most notable, you can get to our class by going to startedupinnovation.com. But our other landing page, most importantly, will be futurereadyu.com. And that is future ready with the letter U. Because we don't think that you need to go to a university. We think you can shortcut. futurereadyu.com. And we've actually started to build quite a digital community, both on the thought leaders that we've already interviewed, but on concerned entrepreneurial parents, students that are already doing this kind of thing. And we think that the more they can network back and forth, the better. And uh, I'm also working with some cities in the United States to start providing an in-person experience, but haven't gotten there quite yet. To I can't talk about it yeah. quite yet, but we're getting closer. Yeah, it's slow, but important work. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? I think my biggest challenge, probably one of the most important nights of my life, I, like most other 16-year-old kids, it was dumb and probably the most pivotal night of my life. I went to a high school party and the police came and they were telling everybody how we were going to go to jail. And this smart aleck over here says, you can't take us to jail. We're not 18. To which they said, we're going to make this night as difficult as we can on you. So long story made short, my dad has to come and get me and they belittle me and tell my dad what stupid blah, 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 son, they have. And my dad, being respectful, said, I know, and I'm very sorry. And this won't happen again. On the ride home, I learned a lot of things about my family. Not my mom and dad, but extended family. And I learned that while this was not the first, but one of my first experiences with alcohol, this was a long and dark road, should I continue. And I learned more about myself that night, a lot about myself. The funny thing is, I was grounded for three months. <laughs> I saw the psychological damage did to my mom that night. She was not happy with me and I was torn up about that, but I was grounded for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So this is the funny part of the story. There was this girl in my science class and she was really pretty and I promised myself I'd ask her out someday, but I never had the courage. So I keep promises to myself and I was like, I've got a great excuse. I will ask her out three months in advance. I know that she'll say no, but she'll be comfortable in saying no because it's three months in advance. Who does that? So I call up this girl. I'm like, hey, you know that party that I was at? I got grounded. I'll be grounded for a long time. I know this sounds crazy. I know you're going to say no. Will you go out with me in March? And she said yes. And I have three children with her. So I love that because it was the worst, best night of my life. I never would have, I never would have asked her out. She was way out of my league and still is. So it was that night where I was like, I'm not going to dishonor my family. I'm mm -hmm. not going to lead this kind of lifestyle. And 
uh, while I'm at it, I'll ask Adelicia. <laughs> Why not? That's Why not? Perfect. perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Ava, Anna, and Grant. Mm. And seeing how they treat people, seeing how they approach the world. Words can't express. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting Alicia to say yes to me when I proposed <laughs> uh, among my greatest successes. Ava, ironically enough, has just launched a podcast of her own because she thinks Generation Z needs better mentors. So she has a show called Mentors with a Z. Um, Anna is currently trying to write her own book and she's in middle school. Um, and I applaud that. And Grant, well, he's Grant. He's in third grade. And that's the most compassionate little guy. Uh, well, heck, no one wants to hear people brag about their kids. Those are my four top, Ava, Anna, Grant, and Alicia saying yes. You've certainly ignited those listeners who are parents and the educators because they are your greatest success, but how they respond to the world, who they are in the world, certainly activates our hearts when you speak to that. Um, well, thank so you. thank you so much. Now, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? That whatever you're doing, stop and pause and think about how to grow the culture. It's a slow growth, but it's absolutely worth it. By you taking those emotionally vulnerable risks, by you leading the way quietly without signaling, by you doing the dirty work and not signaling, people take notice over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a lonely battle. It is an arduous battle. But after a while, you win the most important thing, and that is respect. We live in a culture now where people are shouting that we have to respect them. It's not going to happen. We will pretend to respect. But our actions will cause us to respect. And I think that is the most important thing. Hey, leaders, if you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. How important is it to have a mentor and a coach? Oh, (laughs) somebody's got to keep me in check. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it's to dial back my naivete and sometimes it's to dial back my boldness. I've got several in my life and I think that it's really important. I've got different mentors for different things. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I'll take this cue from a former student, Pete Freeman, if you're out there listening. Ironically enough, I didn't have Pete as a student. I had started at a new school and he was a senior and I was going to have juniors. And so anyway, I just got to know him over several years. And he came up to me and he says, hey, I'd like to know if you'd be on my board of directors for life. Mm -hmm. I'm like, board of directors for life? Like, you know (laughs) your company is going to last that long? He's like, no, 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 no. I want you to be on my board of directors for my life. I'm oh, like, oh wow. my gosh. He says, I would like for you to guide me. Basically, he wanted a mentor in thinking and spirituality. And so I was like, I would be honored wow. because that was the coolest. It made me feel like a million bucks. That's a great honor. And that's a great tactic. Yeah. And don't use it unless you're serious because Pete was serious. So don't just go that, do that willy nilly. Don't call up Mark Cuban tomorrow and say, I want you to be my mentor for life. When you look up to a person or you really have, I think it's better if you already have a relationship, so don't do it blindly. I don't believe in blind mentors. Like, hey, I saw you on Shark Tank. But yeah, asking that was 
amazing. Mm. So I kind of stole a little bit from that. There's a couple of people I've approached after he did it that way and I had a similar approach. But yeah, I'm always needing somebody that knows better than I to help me. Right. And we can't wait for the school to pay for mentors or the school to select coaches for us. We need to do that ourselves. We need to be very intentional about that. Absolutely. Well, I think that's one of the best parts about this class is like, I give them time to find people. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, oh, well, college is great because it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, then why the hell do you have to wait till college? Why can't you learn how to create a great LinkedIn profile and do things in person with your local chamber of commerce and start knowing people in high school? As a matter of fact, you have an advantage because you're 16 years old and you're actually doing something. So mentors will come to you if you're great and if you're transparent with your work. Sorry, I get all fired up. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of lifelong, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? For some... It means a great phrase. For others, it means they are adjusting on the journey. I have met far too many people that throw out that I'm a lifelong learner, but when they've reached a tipping point that they have to adjust, it's somebody else's problem. Hmm. It's somebody else to blame. Well, the world doesn't. Well, these damn millennials. Are you going to learn how to work with them? Or are you going to blame them? And I'm not saying it's all people. I've met some that they claim lifelong learner status. I would really, really like it if we all had that optimism and that whole entrepreneurial mindset of it's all my fault adaptation. Hey, your product didn't sell. Well, the market, nope, not the market. Yes, it's me. I have an inferior product. I need to learn how to make it better. That's lifelong learning. It's responsibility. And what are you learning now? (laughs) At this hour or this month or this day? Uh, the, Whatever you want to tell us. Uh, listening. A year ago, I thought I had it all right and I didn't listen. I had some people tug me on the shoulder and tell me the things that I know now that I was reluctant on. So I think that's been my key. Like, it's not what I think is super awesome. Mm-hmm. It's what I think is super awesome and it converges with what other people I respect are thinking that it could be awesome. Because like some of the things that are coming in the future, people are not going to think it's awesome. Matter of fact, they're going to be fearful of. So like sometimes when I listen, sometimes what I hear is, oh, just the traditional way is correct and everybody should go to college and everybody should go to get a four-year degree. I pause by saying listening to everything can be bad, but deliberately I'm looking for seekers and peekers. Seekers and peekers is kind of my silly way of saying people that seek opportunity are because they're listening to people complain. They're seeking, yeah, they're seeking those pain points. And then peekers is that they know how to put together a pattern that they're peeking around the corner. They see what's coming Mm -hmm. because they're like, okay, if people are complaining about this and that happens, therefore this is probably inevitable. And I'd like to create seekers and peekers. Vision is important, but also knowing how to navigate. Yeah. And knowing how to reflect because Mm -hmm. in that navigation, I pull back every two weeks and reflect on what happened because in the midst of your navigation, you don't necessarily know. So I always say navigate well, right? And shift when you need to. Beautiful. Okay. Now you've weaved some of this in everything so far, but if there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? Stop promoting the myth that everybody has to go to college. And if you don't, you're a loser. Look, if you want to be an engineer, you got to go. You want to be in medicine, you got to go. You're trying to figure out things in life. Hmm, that's $100,000 you're going to rack up. 
I think I want to be a writer, start a blog. Well, I don't have an audience, start a blog today. I think that college is wonderful for some, but the ROI is starting to, well, the data's there. There is a crisis that no one's talking about. A crisis that a lot of the people that have two years of school that didn't have the degree have all the debt. A crisis that people that have the degree who are underemployed have all the debt. You know, I was listening to Peter Thiel not too long ago. Like, we're not allowed to talk about it. So in the dot-com boom, this exuberance of, hey, everything dot-com is going to take over the NASDAQ and everything's a, hey, there might be a bubble. Don't you say that. <laughs> Housing crisis, same thing. Everybody should get a house. No, they shouldn't. Well, you're just hateful. Uh, there might be a bubble. Don't you say that. Now we have hey, there's a lot of college debt and you can't get out of it and you can't declare bankruptcy. And there's a lot of people that don't have any sort of employment. Maybe we need to rethink college. Don't you say that. You're against education. How dare you? You're a teacher. We have to have some crucial conversations about college. You said a lot of stuff. Um, you did, <laughs> no, you did say ROI. You know, Some of our listeners may not be familiar with that because we don't speak a lot about that in education. But, we but, need to. Yes, we do. I want a high return on my investment. Yep. And I believe that all of us should want that and research and reflect on if that's right for me. Let's look at the return on investment, even on things that like medical school. Well, first of all, something like, and I shouldn't quote data, but the vast majority of people in pre-med are not going to go into med school because they're not going to cut it because there's just not enough openings. So you have a lot of people with a pre-med degree that can't get to their final destination. That's an ROI problem. Then you have people that actually do finish it. If you want to start talking about huge debt, look at med school and then the malpractice insurance you're going to have to carry. This is why fewer and fewer people are going into medicine because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars because college is that expensive. Right. And this isn't just an ROI for the individual. This is a negative ROI for society. Fewer people are going into medicine because college is too high, because the insurance is too high, this is a problem, people. Thank you so much for speaking into that. Now, this one's a doozy for you. Maybe the top three. What have you read that our listeners should read and why? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think for Mindset, Lynchpin by Seth Godin. That was a great one. Drive by Daniel Pink. Then there's Start With Why by Simon Sinek. There's... Think Like a Freak by the guys at Freakonomics. Well, anything they've done with Freakonomics. There's like a list of 50. This is asking me like what my favorite Beatles song is. <laughs> Too many. Let's see. I'll give you one more. Zero to One, Peter Thiel. Great. At least the first half of that book. Bold by Peter D. Mendez and Stephen Kotler. At least the first half of that book applies a lot to education. Actually, Seth Godin's linchpin. He, that first two chapters weighs heavily on education. Oh, 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 oh and how dare I forget Leaders Eat Last. Also by Simon Sinek. I think I like that more than Start With Why. Wonderful. Great books. Thank you so much for that. Now, Don, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? I win my morning. I have a routine. Okay. Thank God my oldest daughter is a swimmer. And even though she has her license, she attends my school. Heck, she's in my innovation class. But she gets here to swim at five in the morning. Mm. I get here at five in the morning. I have time to both clear my head. Wait, how do you do that? I meditate for, I mean, the longest I can go is usually 10 minutes. My ADD kicks in, mm -hmm. which is me trying to fight it. I work out to get that endorphin thing going on 
So I then check my daily three list. Matter of fact, here's my killer process. Every night, I send a Facebook message or an email of gratitude, and it has to be somebody different each day. Ooh, that will change. That will change your life, Lily. It will change your life. Do that, and it can't be a bullshit thing, right? Right? Because one, I beg this of my students to do, and anybody listening to this, you're going to train your brain to look for opportunities instead of watching, seeing what Trump said today, <laughs> see what Obama said today. You're going to scan your world on what was good. And you're going to send an email of gratitude, even if it's in school. Hey, I saw that kid. He dropped all his books. I saw that you bent over and picked up his books and didn't make fun of him. I just want to let you know that you're awesome. Do that that every day. Hmm. Shockingly, shockingly, it's self-serving because people think that you're nice. And when you're nice, people are nice to you. And I don't do it for the sake of being like people and be nice to me. I do it because it trains my brain. So I do that every night. And then the last thing I do is I email my top three list to myself for the next day. So after I you know, have my little quiet time and after I exercise, I go straight into my top three and I try to accomplish those things before school starts. I am hyper productive that way. That way, my side hustle stuff doesn't intervene with my second most important job other than being a father and husband. Then I can be a teacher. And then when the bell rings and I'm done with my school day, I feel pretty darn accomplished. Then the other small rocks that go into my jar kind of fill in. Like I can, you know, do my podcast and record it at seven o'clock at night. I can play video games with Grant at, you know, 730. I can spend time with Anna and do so on and so forth. So winning that morning is everything. If I don't win the morning, now it spills into teacher time or family time. And that's just going to lead to an unhealthy relationship. And no one likes that. Mm-hmm. And so how consistent did you have to be because we're gonna fail right yeah well (laughs) how do you recover i he makes me so mad sometimes i'll get up and i'll check twitter and jocko wilnick has already posted his post (laughs) every day that man damn him every day he takes a picture of his watch at 4 30 and he's already worked out he gets up at 4 30 every day and he doesn't fail and so I'm not going to lie and say, hey, I just got off of holiday break. Did I miss some days? Yep. I'm not perfect. But I try to stick to my routine as much as I can. If I get off my routine, I'll find my way back. I have to. That has a strong tie to the responsibilities that we have as a leader to make sure that we give the best of ourselves. So thank you so much for this killer process. Sure. Now. Don, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Failure is the greatest teacher, right? So I wouldn't have listened to myself anyway. (laughs) My younger self would have went, oh, what do you know, old man? (laughs) Right. I hate to say that, but I wouldn't. Okay. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? Like I said, if you are a leader, you're going to take the transparent journey. Please do that. Also, if you're a parent, check out what we're doing. Go to startedupinnovation.com or futurereadyu, letter u.com, and check out what we're doing. We're doing some cool things. Don, thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Oh, I appreciate it, Lily. You guys learned so much. Yeah. All right, cool. Good. Have a great day. All right, you too. We'll see you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, 
continue to ignite that leader in you.